This week, it is going to be The Best of Paranormally Speaking, Volume 13. This episode is lucky number 13 in the line of the very best of the strange, unusual, otherworldly, and paranormal that I cover on a weekly basis. Except this is a collection of the best I've done so far this year. And a few pieces from seasons before. So buckle up and enjoy. As we take a bit of a trip down memory lane and touch on some things you may have forgotten. We are getting closer and closer to actually living out the warning that we received from the premise of the movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Xenobots. This is what I'm covering next. I'm going to be discussing Xenobots. Scientists build the first ever living robots that can reproduce. AI designed xenobots reveal entirely new form of biological self-replication promising for, get this, regenerative, regenerative medicine. To regenerate organs, body parts, cells. That's great if that's all they're doing. But you know it's going to go further than that. You know the wrong people are going to get their hands on this. The wrong ideas are going to come out of it. To persist, life must reproduce. Over billions of years, organisms have evolved in many ways of replicating from budding plants to sexual animals to invading viruses. Now scientists have discovered an entirely new form of biological reproduction and applied their discovery to create the first ever self-replicating living robots. The same team that built the first living robots Xenobots, assembled from frog cells, reported in 2020. 2020 is definitely going to be a year that will forever live in infamy. At that time, they discovered that these computer-designed and hand-assembled organisms can swim out of their tiny dish, find single cells, gather hundreds of them together, and assemble baby Xenobots inside their Pac-Man-shaped mouths that a few days later become new xenobots that look and move just like themselves. And then these new xenobots can go out, find cells, and build copies of themselves again and again. With the right design, they will spontaneously self-replicate, says Joshua Bongard, a computer scientist and robotics expert at the University of Vermont, who co-led the new research. The results of the new research were published November 29th, 2021, and the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Journeying into the unknown, and a xenophus, labius frog, these embryonic cells would develop into skin. They would be sitting on the outside of a tadpole, keeping out pathogens and redistributing mucus, says Michael Levin, a professor of biology and 
director of the Allen Discovery Center at Tufts University and co-leader of the new research. But we're putting them in a novel context. We're giving them a chance to reimagine their multiple cell urarity and that they imagine in something far different than skin. People have thought for quite a long time that we've worked out all the ways that life can reproduce and replicate, but this is something that's never been observed before, says co-author Douglas Blackiston, the senior scientist at Tufts University who assembled the Xenobot parents and developed the biological portion of this new study. We've discovered that there is this previously unknown space within organisms or living systems, and it's a vast space, said Josh Bungard. These are frog cells replicating in a way that is very different from how frog cells do it naturally. No animal or plant known to science replicates in this way, says Sam Kragman, the lead author in the new study who completed his PhD in Bungard's lab at the University of Vermont and is now a postdoctoral researcher at Tufts Allen Center and Harvard University's Weiss Institute for Biological-Inspired Engineering. This is profound, says Levin. These cells have the genome of a frog, but freed from becoming tadpoles, they use their collective intelligence, a plasticity, to do something astounding. In earlier experiments, the scientists were amazed that xenobots could be designed to achieve simple tasks. Now they are stunned that these biological objects, a computer-designed collection of cells, will spontaneously replicate. We have full, unaltered frog genomes, says Levin. But it gave no hint that these cells can work together on this new task of gathering that these compressing separated cells into work self-copies. On its own, the xenobot parent, made of some 3,000 cells, from a sphere and then it forms these can make children but then the system normally dies out after that it's very hard actually to get the system to keep reproducing says Kragman. but with an artificial intelligence program working on the deep green supercomputer cluster at uvm's vermont advanced computing core an evolutionary algorithm was able to test the billions of body shapes in simulation triangles, squares, pyramids, starfish, to find ones that allow the cells to be more effective at the motion-based kinetic replication reported in the new research. We asked the supercomputer at UVM to figure out how to adjust the shape of the initial parents, and the AI came up with some strange designs after months of chugging away, including one that resembled Pac-Man, says Kreigman. It's very non-intuitive. It looks very simple, but it's not something a human engineer would come up with on their own. Why one tiny mouth? Why not five? We see the results. We sent the results to Doug, and he built these Pac-Man-shaped parent xenobots. Then those parents built children who built grandchildren who built great-grandchildren in a matter of days, who then have gone on to build great-great-grandchildren, robotic-grandchildren. In other words, the right design greatly extended the number of generations in just a matter of weeks. 
Replication is well known at the level of molecules, but it has never been observed before at the scale of whole cells or organisms. We've discovered that there is this previously unknown space within organisms or living systems, and it's a vast space, says Bungard, a professor at UVM's College of Engineering and Mathematical Sciences. How do we then go about exploring that space? We found xenobots that walk. We found xenobots that swim. And now, in this study, we found xenobots that replicate. What else is out there? Or, as the scientists write, in the proceedings of the National Academy of Science Studies, life harbors surprising behaviors just below the surface, waiting to be uncovered. In response to the risk, some people may find this exhilarating, Others may react with concern or even terror to the notion of self-replicating biotechnological robots. For the team of scientists, the goal is deeper, deeper into the understanding. We are working to understand this property. Great timing. You should have understood it before you allowed it to self-replicate. The replication process, the world and the technologies are rapidly changing. It's important for society as a whole that we study and understand how this works, says Bongard. These multimeter-sized living machines, entirely contained in a laboratory, easily extinguished and vetted by federal, state, and institutional ethics experts, are now what keep me awake at night. What presents risks in the next pandemic, accelerating ecosystem damage from pollution, uh, intensifying threats from climate change, says UVM's Bongard. This is an ideal system in which to study self-replicating systems. We have a moral and penetrative ability to understand the conditions under which we can control them, direct them, douse them, and exaggerate it. The team sees promise in the research for advancements towards regenerative medicine and if we knew how to tell collections of cells to do what we wanted them to do ultimately that's regenerative regenerative medicine that's the solution to traumatic brain injury birth defects cancer and aging all these different problems and they're here because we don't know how to predict and control what groups of cells are going to build xenobots are a new platform and they are teaching us a lot. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. Thank you for coming back for more. Inside the haunted prison of the Shawshank Redemption. Stand in front of the Ohio State Reformatory today, and you might have a hard time believing it once operated as a maximum security prison, with its soaring French chateau-like spires, intricate brickwork, and stained glass windows. The late 19th century building looks more like a grand hotel that once housed the rich and famous. But walk through its long institutional hallways, past the massive cells with their rusting barred doors and dirty shagging bunks and you might just recall the bleak hopeless prison of the 1994 film the shawshank redemption it was shot there in 1993 and celebrating its 30th anniversary next year starring tim robbins and morgan freeman the movie followed a man falsely convicted of murder on his decades-long quest for freedom and redemption. As you stroll the reformatory's corridors, you might think you hear the clanking of cell doors and prisoners' cries as well. For believers, the former prison in the city of Mansfield, Ohio, is one of the most haunted spots in the United States. It's a place where the ghosts of abused inmates and staff with heavily consciences roam the halls and moving equipment and slamming doors. Indeed, even without ghosts, the building's crumbling walls, peeling paint, and cracking windows are eerie enough to provoke chills. The building opened in 1896 with the goal of offering young male nonviolent first-time offenders the chance of rehabilitation rather than condemning them to the state penitentiary and Columbus. The community was so proud of its new progressive institution that the local Rickland Shield and Banner newspaper declared the brown breaking Mansfield's greatest day, lauding the reformatory for its steps towards prison reform. There was a charter school on the grounds and inmates were trained in everything from woodwork to farming said Ron Puff, one of the reformatory's head tour guides. They even produced their own food. At first, rates among former inmates were as low as 10% to 15%, Puff said. But laws changed and that system fell apart and it became more of a standard prison over time. In the 1970s, in fact, the reformatory was declared a maximum security prison and it developed a reputation for what activists called brutalizing inhumane conditions. The hole made famous by the Shawshank Redemption was based on a real place, an area where inmates were deemed in need of more severe punishment, were placed in solitary confinement and made to sleep on concrete floors. Today, you can climb down into the guts of the reformatory and visit the legendary hole. Even years after the last prisoner left, it invokes a cold, dark horror. When the reformatory finally ceased operation in 1990, after decades of protests, 
Ohio state officials wanted to tear it down. But before that could happen, Shawshank location scouts took an interest in the building, drawn to its architecture. A combination of Victorian Gothic, Richardson, Romanac, and Queen Anne that includes high arched windows and elegant turrets. It was because of Shawshank, Puff said, that the building was spared. Fortunately, after the movie was made, preservationists were able to talk to the state who determined that the front half of the building containing cell blocks and the administration area would not be torn down. A cottage tourism industry has sprung up around the film and it reaches well beyond the former prison in and around Mansfield. You can follow a dedicated Shawshank trail to see Brooks halfway house, the old oak tree where Andy buried his fortune and the woods where the movie's opening scene, Andy sat in the car clutching a revolver. But at the center of it, of course, is the Ohio State Reformatory and its long history. You don't find buildings built this way anymore, especially prisons, Puff said. So preservationists' goals was to save and preserve this site and the history of reform. They wanted people to remember that we had going here in Mansfield at that point. In fact, these days, several of the Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society tour guides are former inmates. One of them was there in the 1960s, Puff said, and another was there in the 1980s. So their tours are a little different because they were in the same cell blocks, but under different laws. They can give the history better than most. Walking through the bleak cell blocks with someone who once lived there offers a powerful reminder of the building's past. But now, when the darkness and whispers of restless spirits become too much, visitors can do what prisoners could not, stroll right out of the front doors. The reformatory is open to the public, normally from April to September, offering self-guided overnight ghost hunts and guided tours. The times and the hours may have changed due to COVID restrictions. Every October, the Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society hands the prison over to the Haunted X, which for the entire month transforms the building into a haunted house, complete with actors, props, and animatronics. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Unparalleled Insider Access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP Plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer detail supply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. This next crazy conspiracy theory states that Marines have been on Mars for 60 years. Earth has been invading Mars in fiction since, well, people with telescopes could 
see the canals of the red planet. Mars is a place where women formed a feminist utopia, where the British transported convicts cast out of Earth, and where Soviets even fomented communist revolutions and Martian society. So why shouldn't America send Martians, well, send Marines there? According to a select few, that last notion is apparently not a work of fiction. An American named Randy Kramer claims that he spent 17 years deployed to Mars as part of the Mars Defense Force and then flew anti-gravity vehicles throughout the solar system as a part of the Earth Defense Force. On his website, Kramer says his old command structure believes that the weakening of the U.S. economy and divisive political infighting is a threat to national security. And they asked him to step forward to tell his story. Randy Kramer has lectured about anti-alien tactics. Kramer says that the Marine Corps trains certain Marines under a program called Moonshadow, starting at age four under the umbrella of what he calls the U.S. Marine Corps Special Section, or USMCSS. He says they implanted a device in his brain and the brains of 299 others that allows members of the Special Section to communicate via electronic telepathy. He would be trained for weeks at a stretch and then transported through time to when he was first taken. So it would appear to others as if no time had passed at all. At 17, he was finally sent off. After coming of age into the secret space program in 1987, Kramer was then taken to an advanced secret base on the moon before beginning his tour on Mars. The moon base was first established as early as 1953, and this is where he signed his enlistment papers. After arriving on Mars via teleportation portal, his mission was to help defend five human settlements on the red planet, the biggest called Ares Prime. Eisenhower was able to avoid her recruitment and was awakened to the false matrix of reality blinding us from seeing the truth behind the military-industrial complex. Hidden agenda. Yes, that's a real quote from CollectiveEvolution.com. The existence of a secret space program is collaborated by Laura Eisenhower, the granddaughter of President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Ike's famous military-industrial complex speech hit Laura harder than anyone else. She believes President Eisenhower knew about extraterrestrials on Earth and formed the last Earth Alien Treaty in 1954. She claims that through a black-budget DARPA project, we've already established a human base on the Red Planet. This is where she was invited to go by a man she calls Agent X in 2007. She also discovered how chemtrails genetically modified food, false flags, and the media are all controlling the population on Earth. Laura Eisenhower says she devotes her life to spreading the divine feminine Gaia Sophia energy to free us from the fake power structures of today. Meanwhile, Kramer tells stories of deadly battles between Martians and native people of Mars before he was deployed or redeployed back to the moon to spend his last three years in service. Allegedly, the two main indigenous species on the planet are reptilian 
and insectoid. Kramer was told that they were just dumb, savage beasts. But of course, he soon found out that they were intelligent beings who lived underground in hives and nests. The three eventually signed a peace treaty. The treaty stipulated that the Martians would not invade the sacred places of either reptilian or insectoids. The Marines would not invade them. It also committed all three sides to defending Mars from external invasion at the hands of a species known as the Draconians. The evil Draconians were eventually defeated by this joint force and were forced to leave Mars for good. He claims humans have been traveling to Mars for decades, and he personally was around for two of those decades. Mars is supposedly a U.S. territory. After his service ended, he was sent to the moon to undergo a reverse aging process that would return his physical body to age 17 before being reinserted into the timeline, taking him back to 1987. Since Kramer spoke up, at least two others have come forward to claim that they were also abducted into the secret space program. One claims he just worked cargo between Mars and Jupiter, and another claims Lockheed Martin is heavily involved in this program. These days, Kramer offers consulting services to help law enforcement agencies and military units prepare for exo-invasions and unnatural disasters, complete with tactical analysis of many different alien species. The self-proclaimed super-soldier and a pilot is also developing a holographic medical bed that will regrow limbs and cure disease. Please hold for a very important message from one of my sponsors. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and second-hand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. I have great news for you. Ghostbusters is real. Well, according to an article shared with me about Dan Aykroyd, the work that he's done, the legacy he has, well, thankfully he's not gone, if you know what I mean, the legacy he has left behind so far. Uh, the things that actually his family, uh, his grandfather before him, uh, was known for doing. Peter Aykroyd, for example, father of the famed actor Dan, isn't afraid of ghosts. Even when the long-deceased spirits of Ming Dynasty Chinese ancient Egyptian princess and the family and their 18th century patriarch Samuel Aykroyd I called out to him as a young boy in Ontario, Peter says, he felt no fear. And why should he have? Ever since he was eight years old, purported communication with the dead was a regular occurrence, part of a long series 
of seances conducted by his grandfather, Dr. Samuel A. Aykroyd, a dentist with a side career as a psychic investigator, and the family medium, Walter Ashurst, who would channel the spirit's voices through his body. Once, while sitting in a family farmhouse, Dan had planned to tear down. He says he felt a massive jolt of electricity and witnessed pops and sparks all around him. It was just like I had been struck by lightning, he recalled. Even extraordinary things in life experienced enough become commonplace. Peter, now 87, told Dan, his father, as they sat together with Dan in Manhattan's Essex house. If you see a ghost ten times, it's like the family pet. The younger Aykroyd interrupted, completing his father's sentence. Dr. Aykroyd's research into the paranormal continued with his son, who sought to create the first device capable of capturing ghostly voices, only to, only to be told by the ghosts themselves that such a contraption was impossible to build. Peter participated in family rituals, and Dan continued the legacy by creating Ghostbusters, a movie rich in the details and vocabulary of the family's paranormal trade and filled with gadgets and gizmos of the type his ancestors tried to invent. The tale of the Aykroyd's four-generation obsession with the occult, as well as psychic investigators who inspired them, is detailed in Peter's newly released book, A History of Ghosts, the true story of seances, mediums, ghosts, and, well, Ghostbusters. It's a subject near and dear to Dan, who grew up listening to tales of his great-grandfather's experiments and reading journals from the American Society for Physical Research, or Psychical Research, I should say. I mispronounced that. That was my bad. This is actually something that the great Dan Aykroyd sent to me to relay to you. I tried to get him on my show. It just wasn't, it, it wasn't developing. It did not happen. Um, of course, COVID has nothing to do with it because it just would have been uh, over the phone or via Zoom. But his schedule is just too packed with the recent movie and other family obligations. The premier organization for supernatural studies since 1885, the academic approach employed by his ancestors and by figures such as author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and ghost hunter Hans Holzer led him to develop the more the core concept for Ghostbusters, a group of bookish researchers fighting ghosts using modern science. It was around the time I had just finished Saturday Night Live, Dan says, and I read an article on quantum physics and parapsychology in the ASPR and said, why not marry the actual scientific discipline of psychic research into an old-style comedy, he said. Dan, a wholehearted believer in the world of spirits, found a perfect writing partner in Harold Ramis, who believed in nothing of the sort, but had a detailed, uh, as a uh, if skeptical knowledge, of the occult. Ramis' interest in the early civilizations also helped round out the main plot of the 1984 film, in which 
an ancient Sumerian cult tries to summon an evil god. Even though he wasn't a believer, we were definitely speaking the same language as Ghostbusters, Ackroyd said. He knows all about parapsychology. He had all the references, all the terms, all without me giving them to him. Peters said he was elected with early drafts of the script, especially the opening scene in which a ghost wrecks, wreaks havoc in the New York City Public Library. It was a pure poltergeist phenomenon and absolutely true to form, he said. Let's face it. He was writing this thing from conviction. There was truth in that, even though it seemed fantastic. He did, however, have problems with the film's now iconic ending, which featured the King Kong-sized Stay Puft Marshmallow Man rampaging about a block away from where our interview took place. I thought it would, wouldn't play, he said, but that was a mistake on my part. I knew it would work, Dan said, breaking a satisfied grin. Powered by Aykroyd and Ramis, high-concept premise, memorable performances by romantic leads Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver, and astounding special effects, the film became the most successful comedy in history and spawned a cult of worshippers who still shadow Aykroyd to this day. He and Peter recalled how at a recent reading they were confronted with fans of full Ghostbusters regalia, including uniforms and proton packs. Some fans have even been known to trick out their cars to mimic the Ghostbusters' famous ride, a converted Cadillac nicknamed Ecto-1. The original cast is at work. Well, this is what he wrote me before the movie came out. On finishing the film that has already... And they've already lent their voices to video games, um, ensuring the future generations will be introduced to Aykroyd and Ramus's spooky world as well. But it should be easy enough for the Aykroyds to relate to the movie's worshippers, given their enthusiasm for all things ghostly. Both Dan and Peter are true believers, all too happy to discuss the many technical details and historical figures associated with the world beyond, many of which are described in a history of ghosts. Hello, kids and adults in the listening audience. I'm Neil Parks, award-winning author and paranormal expert. I'd like to wish all of you a very happy Halloween. You are listening to Big Bad Daddy Wolf's Halloween special on 96.6 The Wolf. If you'd like to learn more about me, then you need to get to Google and search at the Neil Parks or my bookstore website, which is www.lulu.com slash spotlight slash Neil Parks. Thanks. Hey, we're back. What an awesome commercial break that was. I'm about to share seven terrifying tales from the world's most haunted museums, from the Red Man of the Louvre to Monet's Restless Ghost in Cleveland. Filled with prized paintings, storied treasures, and yes, sometimes even mummies, Museums are a natural haunt for otherworldly spirits. Legends abound in the museum world of artistic spirits like Frida Kahlo roaming Casa Azul and Spectral Lady and the white spooking MoMA employees. Many museums have even publicly acknowledged the visitations. The Museum of Contemporary Art in Tokyo played into ghostly rumors when it 
opened a haunted house gallery for kids filled with eerie paintings. The eyes move in one picture, and another a pair of hands emerge from the face of Mona Lisa. But we're not talking about kids' stuff. I'm not. But there are seven of the most notorious museum hauntings ranked from those that give slight goosebumps to ones that are totally hair-raising. For example, the Mets Creepy Crypt. Doctor, doctor, give me the booze. The Upper East Side of Manhattan has every kind of doctor imaginable, including, and why not, a duo of self-proclaimed ghost doctors. Over the years, the paranormal experts Dr. Pete and Dr. Stu have made numerous visits to the Met equipped with essential ghost hunting gear, including EVP monitors, dowsing rods, and never mind how those got through security. Over the years, the doctors have captured some spine-tingling sounds emanating from the galleries and on a 2013 ghost hunting expedition with the Observer, the doctors seem to have channeled the spirit in the European sculpture and decorative arts wing. A ghostly girl. Elsewhere in the museum at the Henry R. Luce Center for the Study of American Art, the phantom of a young girl has been seen running down the halls, her giggling and chatter, giving unexpected frights to studios, art historians, and curators. According to museum lore, she's believed to be the daughter of a long-ago employee. Monet manifests in the Midwest. Guest appearance. While curators were busy finalizing the installation of the Cleveland Art Museum's 2015 expedition, Painting the Modern Garden, Monet to Matisse, the famed Impressionist painter of water lilies himself, appears to have paid an unexpected visit. On the balcony overlooking the gallery stood a man with Monet's, Monet's characteristic salt-and-pepper beard, bowler hat. A photo of the figure was snapped by the museum's director of design and architecture, Jeffrey Streen, showing the illusory artist just above a shrinkingly similar vintage photo of Monet. Staff support. The Cleveland Museum claims the sighting is the real deal. Soon after the story emerged, Caroline Guscott, communications director for the museum, Ask the Cleveland Plain Dealer, what are the chances someone looks like that and happens to be at the museum the day we are finishing the installation? Not their first seance. Besides Monet, museum visitors from the afterlife have included the former museum director, William Mathewson Milliken, spotted sporting a tweed jacket and wandering the oldest sections of the museum. A likeness of the portrait of Jacques André, Joseph's portrait of Jean-Gabriel du Thial at the signing of the Treaty of Vienna, was supposedly being gazed upon by himself at his portrait. We hope he likes it. In 2010, the museum published a blog post recounting a few of the most frequent fantastical tales. Now, there are also restless relics in the British Museum. 
ghost gossip or not, with millions of artworks and artifacts spanning millennia. It seems like merely a game of odds that there would be a museum, one spook wafting around this British museum. At least that's what Noah Angel, an American-born artist, supposed when he started researching hauntings at the museum back in 2016. Years later, his list of stories told to him, mostly by museum guards, keeps growing. Most of the people that he's gathered these stories from don't self-identify as believing in ghosts, he told The Economist. For the most part, these visitors' services and security people are working class blokes, and they don't make a fuss unless something really serious is going on. But what they all seem to agree on, as sort of folk belief of the museum worker, is that objects hold energy. For example, a ghoulish guard dog. In one story, a security guard found himself inexplicably captivated by a 19th century wooden Congolese sculpture of a dog. Sensing that the sculpture had inanimate powers, he pointed his finger towards it, and the fire alarms in the gallery allegedly went off on cue. Other tales include one of the haunted stairwells, a crying uh, Elgin Mar- Marbles secret powers from the statue of the Egyptian goddess Sekhemet. There's also unhappy objects, and Gail offered an alternative perspective on the reparation of the objects from the Western museums, alluding to the possibility that the objects themselves may be uneasy in their current settings, particularly when ritual and ceremonial purposes are neglected. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Thank you for sticking around this long. Archaeologists uncover 20,000-year-old UFO wreckage near Site C. The discovery of a millennia-old UFO wreckage site in the Peace River Valley is proof that this region was used as an interplanetary runway, archaeologists said. The find also raises new questions about early life in the Peace region and the future of the controversial Site C, hydroelectric project runway it's currently under construction in the valley. Archaeologists working in the forest along the Peace River found the wreckage upstream from Site C construction site near Bear Flat earlier that week. The area is being studied ahead of reservoir logging works. Laboratory tests confirm the metal found at the wreckage dates back at least 20,000 years, team lead Levi Lazarus said in a press op conference. This exciting discovery raises new questions about our understanding of the history of the Peace Region, Lazarus said. We've always known the Peace Region has been a highway for indigenous populations for centuries. What we must answer now is what interest intergalactic visitors had in the river and this region. Lazarus said the discovery is proof the river was used, at the very least, as an interplanetary runway, 
he would not speculate on how the spacecraft crashed. A search for any life form or life forms at the wreckage site is underway, he said. Previous archaeological work has uncovered hundreds of sites along the river valley filled with pieces of chert, a flaky obsidian-like rock used by region's early residents for tool making. Some of the arrowheads tested positive for buffalo DNA, additional evidence that the Peace River Valley was a trading hub for plains and coastal First Nations and had been dated back 10,000 years. Lynn and Marlene Bone, who have homesteaded the valley since the 1940s and are ardent opponents of the Sicey Project, said that out-of-this-world discovery is further proof that the Peace River should be given protected status and called again for the immediate halt to the dam's construction. We call on the Premier and her energy minister to finally do the right thing, said Len Bone. It's one thing to run rockshod over our fellow First Nations brethren and homesteaders, however. It's another matter entirely to do the same now to enter interplanetary peri pilgrims. Officials with the Planetary Peace Commission, based in Dawson Creek, said the aliens likely came to the region to escape religious persecution of their home planet. And because of the valley's rich archaeological and agricultural capabilities. I'm not sure how they would know that they were escaping religious persecution, so on and so forth. It's a bit of an outside-of-the-box hunch. We've known about the existence of foreign life forms in this region for decades, says PPC President Herb Wild. BC Hydra, which is undertaking the construction of the $9 billion Site C project, say it is working with the local museum in Fort St. John to preserve and display these alien artifacts once quarantined and researched. We are surprised and delighted, as everyone would be about this find, said Site C spokesperson Dan Calloway. However, it will not slow down our construction timetable. The project remains on time and on budget. Premier Crystal Lark and Energy Minister Bull Benetton could not be immediately reached for comment. A team of researchers from Roswell, accompanied by Canadian military personnel and local archaeologists, will continue their work over the coming months. Lazarus did not want to weigh in on the political implications of the discovery. However, he hopes the site will open to the public later this summer. We are just getting started, Lazarus said. The truth is definitely out there. Children who report memories of previous lives. Some young children, usually between the ages of two and five, speak about memories of a previous life they claim to have lived. At the same time, they often show behaviors such as phobias or preferences that are unusual within the context of their particular family and cannot be explained by any current life events. These memories appear to be concordant with child's statements about a previous life. In many cases of this type, the child's statements have been shown to correspond accurately to facts in the life and death of a deceased person. 
Some of the children have birthmarks and birth defects that correspond to wounds or other marks on the deceased person whose life is being remembered by this child. In numerous cases, post-mortem reports have confirmed these correspondences. Older children may retain these apparent memories, but generally they seem to fade away around the age of seven. The young subjects of these cases have been found all over the world, including Europe and North America. Now, for the past 20 years, Dr. Jim Tucker, now the director of the Division of Perceptual Studies, has focused mainly on cases found in the United States. His book, Return to Life, offers accounts of very strong American cases of young children who remember previous lives. In his book, Dr. Tucker writes about the now well-known case of James Leininger, a young boy who had verifiable past life memories of being a World War II pilot, and Ryan Hammonds, who had verifiable memories of being a Hollywood extra and a talent agent. Statements made by a child who seems to be remembering a previous life can be quite varied. The following list compiled by the doctor of possible statements is not an exhaustive list by any means. It is designed to give an idea of the kinds of things a parent or caregiver might hear and in our Western culture tend to dismiss as fantasy. It is also true that a child might say one or more of these things and not be remembering a previous life at all. It's probably best not to pump a child for information, nor to try and prevent him or her from saying such things. A type of statements a child might make, for example, you are not my mommy or my daddy. I have another mommy or a daddy. When I was big, I used to have blue eyes, had a car, etc. That happened before I was in mommy's tummy. I have a wife, a husband, children. I used to drive a truck, live in another town, etc. I died in a car accident or after I fell. The list goes on. Remember when I lived in that other house? Was your daddy, etc.? Now, advice to parents of children who are reporting memories of previous lives. If you are a parent seeking advice about your child who seems to remember a previous life, please refer to Dr. Jim Tucker's advice to parents. You can contact him if your child appears to be having memories of a previous life. They are very interested in hearing about cases of young children who are currently spontaneously speaking about memories of a previous life. If you are a parent or a caretaker of a young child, please email his research assistant, Diane Morini at dsm3j at virginia.edu to submit your observations and experiences of your child's behavior and statements about memories of a previous life. Rest assured that only qualified study team members will have access to your report of a child's past life memory submitted via email, and they adhere to a strict code of privacy and confidentiality in all instances. They do not disclose the names of the people involved in the account in any way without first seeking explicit permission from the parents. You may note 
that there are a few published cases in which the actual names are used in presenting details of the case. They want you to know that this is rare and only done by special permission granted to them from the parents. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Thank you for returning after that much-needed commercial break. I hope you learned something from it. The Satanic Panic. This movement of mob hysteria lasted almost 30 years. It was the new 1950s Red Scare where all musicians, actors, and artists were accused of being communists or communist sympathizers. It was the new Salem Witch Trials. Need I say more about that event? I hope you know your history. The Satanic Panic still exists in some small capacity. Thankfully, it doesn't have the stronghold on the youth of the church or the minds of church leaders like it once did. Once in a while, that level of panic and paranoia lifts itself out of the abyss of ignorance, fear, and outright lies to rattle our cultural cages of comfort. Thank God or whomever you serve that as a people, most of us can see through the bullshit. And what really sucks about the satanic panic, so many good people bought into it. So many good people spread that fear, that propaganda, because they didn't really look into it themselves. I mean, now we have one of the greatest resources at our fingertips. We can look it up. We can read articles. We can search information at the snap of our fingers or at the click of a mouse if you still have a mouse that you click with and you don't have one of those installed mice on your laptop whatever you know what i mean in the 70s 80s and 90s we had encyclopedias but those really only told you so much and you had the mainstream media that was it and there was a major shift in our culture. And so many good people were duped. Now, there were some people that were just out there fueling the fire for their own gain. Because they knew they had something. They had a way to sell more shirts or more Bibles or more Christian rock music or more anti-secular, anti-non-Christian this or that. No, not anti-secular, but... You know what I mean, to sell more pertaining to what they see as godly and less of what the world puts out. There were some real charlatans. I'm talking about Jerry Falwell, 
talking about Jim and Tammy, Tammy Faye Baker, more Jim Baker than Tammy. Tammy was a major proponent and supporter of human rights, minority rights, LGBTQ. Uh, she was a major proponent against laws that were deemed racist. So she really broke away from that mold. You should check out the movie The Eyes of Tammy Faye. You will see Jimmy Swaggart portrayed and and uh, other figures in the televangelism movement and how seedy and creepy they were. They just were not good people. And these are the kind of people that fueled that propaganda, that created that new Salem witch trial. Now, your targets of the satanic panic, of course, rock music, heavy metal and hard rock, pop and rap. They were always going after this, whether it be an album cover that had some sort of dark or macabre or satanic imagery. A majority of your commercial metal and rock artists put that out there to just shake up the system. They knew that mothers and fathers and grandparents... Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Well, there's, of course, uh, the Buxton Inn. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of that. And where's that exactly? Uh, that is in Granville. Okay, Granville. Uh, right. That's I think it's, what, like 40 minutes from here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 40 minutes east. Uh, that is a really interesting location. Uh, I was invited to, like, uh, my wife and I were invited. She's like the scully to my molder. Uh, oh, okay, so you guys do this together. All yeah, right, so do. Randy and I know about that. We do. Uh, she kind of ropes me in and keeps me from chasing the moon and werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> we were invited to like this murder mystery type dinner, get to know each all the X Files, nice. And we <laughs> we were invited as like the guests of honor. They wanted me to tell some stories and read some excerpts from my book. Sure. And a lot of the people that were a part of it, it was like the movie dinner for schmucks. It was it was pretty funny. Oh look at this place. This is yeah, nice. It was it's quite yeah, it is a very nice location. And the bar downstairs is like a dungeon. Mm. And I wonder if they used to keep people during the Renaissance era in that location. But since this land was not um, anything beyond uh, the New World before the Renaissance era, I doubt that that was ever a, a dungeon of torture. But it, it does look pretty creepy. And in fact, a lot of weird things happen in that bar. Glasses are known to fly across the room. A lot of girls, when they go to change uh, certain containers for the drinks and whatnot, or change the keg... Uh, they'll feel someone push or grab on them. Uh, I myself did not experience anything in the bar. I did get a sense of something moving around that wasn't physical. But what I experienced more was in the ballroom area where they have a lot of wedding receptions and uh, graduation dinners. Sure. There is said to be a ghost cat that runs around. Wow, oh, ghost cat. Ghost cat. Do you have to do ghost litter? Ghost litter, yes. Yeah, ghost poops. <laughs> Yeah, ghost poops. So, <laughs> what if it's like the worst part of a ghost cat? It still smelled like a cat, and you're like, I don't even get to see this son of a bitch. Like, what? <laughs> it's just, I smell it? It's just a cat. Yeah. So uh, you kind of want to set a can of nine lives out for it to see what happens. But we're sitting in, in one of the tables, and I notice uh, one of the table drapes that goes over the tabletop cloths. It's brushing almost like someone's rubbing their foot against it. And I pick it up to look under to see who's doing that because it's just my wife and I sitting here at this table. And I, I kid you not, I kit, 
kitten, you not. This this cat uh, was under the table, and all the doors were closed. No one could get in or out at this point, and it's just us, just physical people. And this cat, this solid white cat, is under the table. It hisses at me just like that sound and then takes off. But it takes off to where? Because as soon as it disappears yeah. from our sight, it's just, it's, it's so gone. Weird. It was a cat Experience Columbus's newest and most entertaining haunted attraction, Carnage Haunted House. Carnage Haunted House and their monsters return to an all-new indoor 60,000-square-foot location at 3770 Refugee Road, home of intense terror that's guaranteed to scare. Featuring the bayou, the entity, and more, experience the thrill of two of Columbus's most immersive attractions and terrifying all-indoor haunts under one roof. For ticket prices and hours of operation, visit them on Facebook or check out Carnage. The Smithsonian Institute recognized the destruction of thousands of giants. The Institute admitted that it destroyed thousands of giant human skeletons in the early 1900s. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled to publish classified documents dated as early as 1900, proving that the organization took part in a major historic cover-up of evidence showing that tens of thousands of giant human remains were found across America and destroyed by orders of high-ranking evidence. The leaders to protect the dominant chronology of human evolution at the time. Suspects from the American Institute of Alternative Archaeology, AIAA, that the Smithsonian Institute destroyed thousands of giant human remains was accepted by the organization in bayonets, which responded by suing AIAA for slander and attempting to harm the reputation of the 168-year-old institute. According to the AIAA, Representative James Charward had new details that came up during the trial when several Smithsonian Institute insiders recognized the existence of documents that allegedly proved the destruction of tens of thousands of human skeletons, ranging from 6 to 12 feet tall, whose existence of traditional archaeology, for various reasons, does not want to recognize. The demonstration of the human hip bone of about one to three meters long as evidence of the existence of such giant human bones. This proof broke a hole in the defense of the institution's lawyers on the slander case as the bone was stolen from the high organization by one of its high-ranking curators in the mid-1930s. He kept the bone throughout his entire life and wrote a confession upon his deathbed that the Smithsonian Institute's cover-up and their operations. He said in his note, it's terrible what they do to people. He writes, we hide the truth about the ancestors of humanity, the giants who inhabited this earth, which are mentioned in Bible texts as well as other ancient texts. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled to publish these classified documents on everything related to the destruction of evidence related to pre-European culture as well as elements related to human skeletons more than usual. The publication of these documents will help archaeologists and historians review modern theories about human evolution and help us understand the pre-European culture of America and the rest of the world, says Gans Gutenberg, director of the AIAA. Historical Chronicles of the 19th century often report findings in different corners of the globe of skeletons of people with abnormally high growth 
which brings to mind a situation in the south central Ohio uh, portion of Ohio when they were putting in a new by road that separates between a major highway and a road that connects into the city of Chillicothe, Ohio. When they were digging to make this new road, they found unmarked graves consisting of about six to ten giant humanoid skeletons that were in excess of 12 feet tall apiece. And when they made this discovery, it was quickly shut down. They brought in experts from outside the field, outside of the group that was hired to do the digging and the moving of the land. Local authorities got involved. They were kindly cast aside and told that this was a matter of a different authority. And these bodies were exhumed and said they were going into an archaeological find. They were going to do a huge write-up and reveal this to the world. But since then, the road's been put down. It's been years now. People have come and gone. Uh, we have an entirely new uh, sheriff's department because the local authorities were getting involved in trying to blow the lid off of all of this. And that sheriff's no longer with us, nor are his deputies. And the bodies are gone too. But there were several eyewitnesses that saw these bodies themselves. And many of them were forced or coerced into signing a NDA with said organization that was going to reveal the findings and protect the integrity of the witnesses. But since then, no one's integrity and no, no one has really had their integrity protected. And those that are willing to come forward have talked to me, explained what they saw, described and have written and sketched out in detail what they saw. And the five people I've spoken with that were present or had seen evidence at that time, uh, they all match up. Uh, same situation along the Ohio River separating Ohio from Kentucky. In the early 1900s, several giant humanoid skeletons were found along the riverbanks and were removed and covered up, never to be seen again. Now, this seems to be going on a lot. And these things are coming out more so during this pandemic in the year 2020. I mean, the Pentagon has now admitted that UFOs have always been here. They've been watching them. There have been encounters with aliens and crafts that are not of this planet. And that hit the mainstream media. But because of all the protests, the riots, the pandemic, the upcoming election, the lunacy that is the Donald Trump administration, and on top of that, any and every other thing possible to be thrown in our direction to divert our attention. What better time to release information this magnificent about our history, about the mysteries of the universe, than now, in the middle of all of this noise that we're surrounded by? It's a good way for someone to slide in the truth completely undetected. Thank you for listening. That is all for this week that I will be covering. I hope it was a plethora of information for you to digest and possibly share with your friends or just anyone you pass along the street. Have a great weekend. Please tune in next week for more Paranormally Speaking with your host, award-winning author, Neil Parks. Yes, that's me. 
Thank you and Godspeed. Mañana por ustedes y esta vez que sea por mí Avisen que hoy no llegan a dormir So you 